Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Claire Navarro. For today's podcast, we'll be hearing from Dr. Brett Hyde about the rhythm of everyday language. As Hyde will explain, even casual conversations have surprisingly musical qualities. Hyde is an assistant professor of philosophy and part of the joint philosophy neuroscience psychology program here at Washington University in St. Louis. His research and teaching focuses on linguistics, a field that one dictionary defines as the scientific study of language and its structure. Though this may sound quite different than approaching language in an interpretive, artistic way, like, say, someone who studies literature or poetry, in Hyde's opinion, this analytical approach is simply another way to uncover the beauty of language. There's language itself. There's the poetry, there's the literature, there's the everyday speech. You can do so many things with the language itself that is so beautiful, but you can also look at the language. You can look at natural language and you can try to uncover its principles and see how they work together. And those theories, those models that are about language also turn out to be really beautiful, creative things. Hyde's specific area of research within linguistics is metrical stress theory, or the study of rhythmic patterns in natural speech. These rhythms occur in every language across the world. So just like you might kind of in an artificial way put language into rhythmic patterns in poetry, even without poetry in ordinary speech, language has rhythmic patterns. Now for most people, the idea of rhythm is much more associated with music than with everyday speech. But according to Hyde, music and language have many more similarities than you might think. So in music, you often have very, very complex things that need to be coordinated. You, you may have a number of different instruments, you have notes that need to be played at the same time or right after each other. You know, there's a, there's a timing in an organization to these things. And so it, it, it turns out, at least, at least I think, that many of the same things that occur in music also occur in, in language. You have, you have a metrical pattern, like you might think of the time signature in music. You have other types of rhythmic patterns that are laid over the meter. You have pitch rises and falls. You have differences in length, like in language you might have longer vowels and shorter vowels, like you might have longer notes and shorter notes in music. You might even have things that you would think of as more complicated rhythmically, like syncopation. We find syncopation in music, and there are cases where we arguably find that in in language as well. So even if you feel like you have no musical talent whatsoever, in some ways, just by speaking, you are a one-person orchestra. Just to make speech sounds, your tongue has to do the right thing at the right instant, your jaw has to do the right thing at the right instant, you have to be breathing uh, at the right way at the right time, your 
larynx has to vibrate or, or, or not vibrate, your vocal folds have to vibrate or not vibrate, and all these things have to be coordinated. And a obvious way that these things would be coordinated is with a rhythmic pattern. These patterns aren't necessarily easy to hear, but if you pay attention to individual words and phrases, they're there. The way this is most noticeable in English is stress and accent patterns. So people usually can tell pretty well which syllable in the word has the primary stress, but it also manifests itself in the way the vowels sound. So depending on which syllable of a word is accented, the vowel has a different sound. This is especially noticeable when you have two words that are spelled the same but are accented differently. So one example would be construct, where the vowel in the, in the first syllable, con, is very, very short. And then if you say the related word construct, then the vowel is different. And the reason is simply where the stress occurs. And the pattern that these fuller vowels and more reduced vowels occur in looks like a rhythmic organization. Right? It's alternating strong and weak beats. So far we've heard about many of the similarities between music and language, but Hyde's specific area of research actually relates to one of the ways that language is not exactly musical. When a composer writes a song or a poet writes a poem, he or she can use beats and words to come up with basically whatever rhythm he or she wants. However, this isn't true with natural spoken language, and Hyde is trying to figure out why. I try to find out first which patterns are possible and, and which aren't. There's lots of logically possible patterns. There's lots of rhythmic patterns that you might find in other places, in poetry and music and, and so on, that might not show up in natural language. In fact, there are many patterns that are relatively easy to do. You might be able to clap them, you might be able to sing them, you might be able to whistle them that don't seem to show up in natural language. And so what I try to do is gather different descriptions of stress patterns in different languages, see which ones are out there in the world actually and which ones aren't, and try to develop a theory, a grammar that will produce the patterns that you see out in the world and not produce at least too many of the ones that you don't see. And then if you can do that, hopefully, you better understand the rhythmic principles that, that operate in natural language. To do this, Hyde works with descriptions of languages from around the world that have been gathered by other linguists working in the field. When all of these descriptions are carefully analyzed in comparison to one another, certain types of patterns begin to appear, and as Hyde just indicated, certain other patterns do not. Say for example, um, there are lots of languages that have stress on every odd-numbered syllable counting from the left except the final syllable. But if we were to take the mirror image of that, we would expect that to show up as well in some language which would be stress on every odd numbered syllable counting from the right, except the initial syllable, that one doesn't show up. And so, you know, that, that's interesting. Why do we have the one pattern, but we don't see the other one show up 
and that one seems equally reasonable at first glance. Why wouldn't it show up in one of the four, five, six thousand languages of the world? And so what, what I would try to do is look at the one pattern and others like it that are found out there among the world's language, look at the very similar ones that aren't found, and try to determine what the differences are, right? And it's not that easy because they look very similar. Here we get back to the idea that it's not that easy to actually hear the rhythms in everyday speech. Even when linguists are putting together descriptions of accent patterns, they find it useful to use a simple rhythmic tool that you might find in beginner music classes. Clapping. If you ask people to clap out prominent syllables in the language, you, you take them through and ask them to clap in, in various places and see how natural it feels, or ask them to clap three times while they say the word and see where they clap. Then they will clap out fairly reliably a distinct stress pattern for Spanish, a distinct pattern of secondary stresses. This turns out to be true for any language, including English. Here's an example with the word passamaquoddy. For example, if you, if you clap out passamaquoddy, and I asked you to clap five times while you were doing it, passamaquoddy, you would clap once for each syllable, and you would do it pretty slow. If I asked you to clap twice, you would probably do passamaquoddy. If I asked you to clap once, you'd do passamaquoddy. So the place you clap the most often, the qua syllable, is the primary stress, passamaquoddy. The place where you clap the next most often, the pa, is the secondary stress, passamaquoddy. And the other syllables are relatively unstressed. The word passamaquoddy in this example isn't a random choice. According to Hyde, English has pretty much the most difficult accent pattern of any language in the world. Even the boundaries between different parts of a word can affect the rhythm. So to get a sense of the overall pattern, it's best to use a long, borrowed word like passamaquoddy. Then, by looking at these types of clapped rhythms and other evidence, Hyde attempts to uncover principles that work across languages. It seems to be cross-linguistically that languages like to have the initial syllables of their words stressed, and they like to have their final syllables stressless. And there are exceptions to that, but they only occur for a small number of reasons. So my job is to try to uncover principles like that and use those to explain why we see some patterns but not others. This type of close analysis can be very formal and very technical, but Hyde believes it's also beautiful and creative. In fact, his faculty webpage's subhead says, a day without linguistics is like a day without sunshine. Part of Hyde's love of this subject is its potential for increasing knowledge about one of the most fundamental parts of being human, our ability to organize and interpret our thoughts into spoken words. If we can better understand how language works, it might help us better understand how the, how the mind works. And it's just a really terrific, interesting, fun project to work on. And, you know, it could be a really horrible, nasty day outside, but linguistics is like sunshine. It doesn't matter as long as you have linguistics. It'll be all right.
Many thanks to Brett Hyde for contributing to Hold That Thought. For more podcasts on language, as well as many more ideas to explore, visit holdthatthought.wustl.edu. That's holdthatthought.wustl.edu. You can also search for Hold That Thought on Facebook and Twitter, or find our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, or prx.org.